0: Digging Deeper podcast. My name is Kurt Benek. Today, we have guest Tim Davidson, who's uh, the Bodies and Cranes product manager for Stellar Industries, and we're going to be talking about the evolution of the mechanics truck on the construction job site. Now, Tim, I understand the history of the mechanics truck. This is a product that's really unique to the United States market. Can you address exactly how the mechanics trucks came about and why it's unique to the North American market?
1: Yeah, Kurt. uh First, I'd like to thank you for the time today. It's uh, it's an enjoyable uh, industry to work in, and uh, t- it's wonderful to be able to get together and share some of our knowledge with uh, with some people in the marketplace, and so people understand um, where we're at and what we're doing. Um, you know, the mechanics truck market, the the cranes themselves started really um, probably in the late 1950s in the oil and gas industry of Oklahoma. Um, one of our competitors is probably one of the first ones to introduce service cranes, I guess, which would be um, Auto Crane um, down in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And and really that even started from guys that were using gym cranes, if you will. to load things into the bed of a truck and and still have the lifting capability to to lift components. And the early cranes were still actually operated with winches. So even to, to raise and lower a boom, they had a system of winches that would elevate the boom and lower the boom. And it was a fixed boom length, if you will. So if you had a a section of tubing that was probably 15 feet long was the longest boom length at the time okay and then they would just raise and lower it and then the winch line would raise or lower um the, the the load that you were picking up and from that once they offset the crane to the side of the bed and left the load bed area open uh that's when They got to understand that they they didn't just they weren't able to just lift components But they're able to lift much more than that um, in the service of Not only the wells for the oil and gas industry, but also some of the components for the equipment and I guess when you when they when they shifted from that a lot of the caterpillar dealers and heavy equipment dealers figured out that hey we can repair our equipment in the field much much better with a crane like this because it was something that was never really seen before and and through that it just became you know more and more advanced because they they needed to rely more and more on field service to keep operators up and running in the field so that's i guess that's the start of it the start was oil and gas um in the probably the mid-1950s in Oklahoma and Texas.
0: Okay, and and when did it evolve? When did we start seeing boxes and some of the utility components being put on these trucks instead of just a crane with an open flatbed? When did it start to evolve into an actual, what we know as a mechanic's truck?
1: That really came about, um, the earliest that uh, I remember seeing information on that was probably in the early 1970s or the late 60s, that's when they really kind of started to developing into more of a mechanic truck package, if you will.
0: Okay. In, in the crane itself, you said these were starting with mechanical winches. When did we see the advent of hydraulics and sliders and some, some of the more advanced cranes that we see today?
1: Really in the in the 1970s is when that started coming about, um, probably closer to the mid-1970s, uh, 1975, 1976. Um, hydraulics really started to to make its inroads into it.
0: Okay, and it, you, this is kind of a North American phenomenon. Why did this not catch on in Europe? Because it seems like a, a really productive concept.
1: Yeah, it, it is. I think, um, you know, we've thought about that, you know, a lot because uh, it's so natural for our heavy equipment distributors and mechanics of all kinds to use a telescopic crane like we have. Because, like you said, we have the the toolboxes, you know, the side compartments where they can store all their tools and parts. Um, the only thing that we've really come to the conclusion, and I think it's it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty solid understanding, is that the that we have in the United States are so much greater than what they are in Europe. Um, when you look at, you know, my state, the state of Iowa, it's roughly at the lo- uh, the widest point, it's maybe 400 miles wide and 350 miles north to south. That, you might be able to put two, maybe three European countries in just the state of Iowa. Okay? And there's the population density is a lot smaller. So, When they service a piece of equipment in Europe, it's much closer to a repair shop so that they're able to load that onto a transport, bring it into the shop, fix it, take it back out of the field. In the United States, it's really easy to get four hours away from a shop. Mm -hmm. So that's not such an easy task anymore, to load up an excavator or a dozer, bring it into a shop, and then take it back to the work site. Um, So I I, I think that geographical difference between the United States and Europe is really what's made the mechanics truck such a large market in the United States.
0: Okay. Now, I, I know we've seen a lot of advances in the last few years in terms of electronics and safety systems. Can you tell me a little bit about the advancement of, of the mechanics truck and where it's been and where you, where you see it going in the future?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, yeah it really is uh, remarkable. It's uh you know, in the like, we talked about the '70s where, you know, early on there was no hydraulic extensions in a in a boom at all, to where we started getting to where you had one hydraulic extension, and then maybe a manual pull out. All right, so we were getting to where we had 20 feet of reach, and it really wasn't until 1999, uh, Stellar was the first U.S. manufacturer. to make a radio remote control as a standard, not as an optional feature. And and that really kind of – we kind of kicked off a little bit of a revolution in that regard um, because the, the use of these cranes, you know, it went from something that you were just picking something up off the ground per se, putting it in a bed, to where you were maybe – Pulling components of an engine off to where you had to have more finite control of the crane So that you didn't have to worry about stripping out bolts or or damaging other components so we've all all of us as manufacturers have had to develop better control systems for our cranes and that like I said that really started really that you know Now we say at the turn of the century that 99-2000 range and it, it's ballooned a lot beyond that into sharing information from the crane to the operator, and that's uh, that that's probably the next evolution really is how much information we're sharing um, with what what's going on with the truck itself, the crane, and what we share with the operator and the fleet manager.
0: okay so so you're really starting to take advantage of some of the telematic and the connected systems that are available nowadays
1: absolutely yeah we are um we're uh we we've, we've been working on systems like that we've been working with uh, some of the third parties that are out there that are doing fleet management uh telematics systems we work with them and we're also uh, looking at standalone systems that we can offer operators and and fleet managers as well
0: okay now i i know one of the the major impacts that we're seeing in the industry-wide, but specifically when it comes to mechanics trucks, it's getting really difficult to find a CDL-qualified operator who can run a mechanics truck. Do you have solutions, or what are you working on to, to solve some of those industry problems?
1: Yeah, that's that's a pretty regular problem. Mm-hmm. And we do most of our mechanics truck sales in today's world are in that under 26,000 GBW. Okay. Uh, so, so that is common. We we have, uh, like I said, you're able to get a really pretty good sized mechanics truck in that twenty five nine ninety nine range. Uh, you, we'll still do a ten or a twelve thousand pound crane, so the lifting capacity is there. But it's generally a, a shorter bed, like an eleven foot bed. Um, and then, being that we have, uh, you know, we've we've developed an aluminum. A service body, which we're able to save them about a thousand pounds in payload, so that helps a lot. Being able to stay in that twenty-six thousand GVW range.
0: So, this is really, you're having to use some advanced materials to try, to try to get the weight, so you can still get the capability of, of the mechanics truck. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, you know the
1: the the needs of the of the modern fleet buyer. They they want to save weight because it's a fuel reduction, okay, and also lets them run smaller trucks. So there's some cost reductions there, plus you have the CDL driver issue. So, so that's one of the big issues, weight, un, un, unladen weight, if you will, so that they, they still want to fill it with tools, of course, and parts. But uh, weight and then also, like I said, that, that telematics portion, They uh, fleet managers really want to understand, yeah, am I really buying the right trucks for my fleet? And we help them there as much as we possibly can.
0: Okay, and we we do know that there's a lot of people who make service-type bodies. What really differentiates the the bodies in the market? And what should you be looking for when you're looking for a service truck or for a mechanics truck? Well,
1: there's... and a a few things, or a fleet manager, Um, so many more, you know, more and more companies are getting true fleet managers to manage their fleet. So they they have to look at, you know, the cost of ownership over a given amount of time, whether they plan on keeping it five years or whether it's seven years and then they want to remount it onto another chassis. It depends on really what the goals are for that fleet um, because they're certainly the lowest – Price competitors out there, and they may have less features. Um, they may not have as quite of a robust of a design, but they're but they're meant to operate for five to seven years, and then you, you put that truck on the secondary market. Um, and that and the, that certain fleet is, doesn't care as much about cost of ownership; they care more about acquisition cost. Um, so there's certainly guys that head that direction um, from the stellar side of life we try to build a more robust product yet to keep it lightweight. So we're focused on design, how we design it to be stronger without the added weight and the materials that we use, the construction techniques that we use um, and giving them the, the adequate storage space that they have and, and then making it last. Our, our trucks are, are really easy to, if a guy wants to remount them, onto a second chassis, they can easily do that, okay? But we're also finding guys that wanna keep them for seven years, and and they wanna get the maximum resale price they can get out of them, okay? Okay. So So they're having a better product up front, and it may cost them more up front than what our competitors do, but yet on the resale side, they more than make up for that additional cost because of the resale price of the vehicle.
0: Okay. Okay, then when it comes to nowadays, it seems like there's more and more of a focus nowadays on preventive maintenance. Did you see that going on in the industry, and how does the mechanics truck really play a role into the preventive maintenance aspect?
1: Yeah, I think that's, um, to be honest, that's probably the biggest shift in not just the service side, but also the sales side to some degree. And I'll explain that a little bit. Um, First off, yes, we recognize it. We we actually recognize it so much that we actually acquired a company um, in 20... Twelve, something like that, 2011, called it was Valley Industries, which is, uh, makes lube-mate and FuelMate products, okay? So they, they are manufactured, they're under our American Eagle brand. Um, they manufacture lube skids and fuel and lube trailers. 100% of that product is meant for preventive maintenance. And right now, probably 25 to 40%, depending on the, the month, if you will, we are sending mechanics trucks out the door with loop skids installed in them just for preventive maintenance. So so we really are seeing a huge uptick in that. and um, and and it really starts because the construction equipment companies, the caterpillars, John Deere, Case, Hyundai, you name it, they're all selling Basically uptime contracts. They're gonna they want a customer to buy their equipment and understand that they're gonna have you know ninety whether it's ninety five percent ninety seven percent uptime guarantees. But to do that, they have to regularly service that equipment, change the filters, change the oils during their downtime to make sure when they need to operate, they can operate. Um, so that has really created a shift in our marketplace.
0: Okay. Now, is telematics playing a role in that as well, being able to locate the equipment and for being a, making it easier to service equipment in the field?
1: Oh yeah, from the um, you know when you when you talk about these you know a dozer an excavator, whatever, most of the time those those pieces of equipment now are telematically connected, so that the. Sales organization that sold them will know when it's time for that preventive maintenance because the, the equipment will have the monitors on it and will tell them. So much so that because of the preventive maintenance, they can predict um, what may fail before it fails. So if they have a sensor that's showing a, let's take for a, let's say it's showing a, a heat area in one part of the, of a machine, it may be because there's a bearing wearing out somewhere, okay. okay? Well, if they can catch that, if they can catch that when it gives the, the telltale signs that there's a failure coming down the, the line, well, let's go out and preventatively change that with a controlled downtime and actually have the machine break down. Because if it breaks down, that means you're using it when it breaks down and you're really wanting to use it, so now you have a true downtime situation. So those guys are using, or using that telematics system all the time, and that's exactly the way that we intend to use telematics on our equipment as well. Okay. So that they can... You know, they can service it when they need to service it and not get to a breakdown situation.
0: Okay. And What are we going to see in terms of the the future of mechanics trucks? Do you see any trends going on that are going to affect the future design or the future implementation of mechanics trucks?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, the the telematics is probably the biggest one. There's, uh, There's more and more a phrase I guess that we use is right sizing your fleet. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's not it's a scary it's a scary thought for a lot of people because, you know, does that just mean that they'll buy less cranes? Not necessarily at all. But it's what it may mean is that a fleet may have larger cranes where they really need larger cranes, but they may have smaller cranes where they only need smaller cranes. But at the end of the day, it's our job to satisfy the needs of that customer not to try to just sell them more product and bigger product that doesn't do any of us any good Um, so so I really do see that there's a change in the marketplace where fleet managers are really being conscientious about how they spend their money to be most effective for their fleets
0: okay I really appreciate you taking time to to inform our audience about the mechanics trucks, where they've been, and where they're headed. I really appreciate it.